Surely you have heard from both high and low what has befallen the world and its inhabitants from the time of Chinggis Khan up to now, and what humiliation has visited upon the great empires to the power of the everlasting eternal sky god. Previously you were advised, and we do so again now. Do not be obstinate. Do not attempt what you cannot do nor ignore what is manifest, for you will be sorry. If you do not heed our advice... If you intend to oppose or resist us, ready your army and choose the battlefield. For when I lead my army against Baghdad in fury, whether you try to hide up in the heavens or down below the earth, I will bring you down from the spinning spheres. I will toss you in the air like a lion. I will leave no one alive in your realm. I will burn your city and your lands. If you wish to spare yourself and your venerable family, listen to my advice with the ear of intelligence. If you do not... We will see what God has willed. This letter was sent by Hugulu Khan, the grandson of Chinggis, just before he destroyed the capital of Islamic civilization. Baghdad was once the center of all human knowledge, but within days the great caliph of Islam would be rolled in his own carpets and trampled by horses. The carnage was so complete, it is said that the waters of the Tigris River turned red with the blood of those who dared to find the great Mongol Khans. <laughs> um, hi everybody, sorry, I'm laughing at myself after just having listened to the introduction that I made because that is so ridiculously melodramatic um, and I, I kind of love it slash really hate it at the same time. I think I'm just going to leave it. Um, Actually, that's typically the stuff you're going to hear when you encounter the Mongols in mass media, uh, maybe on the History Channel or Hollywood. Uh, there's this guy, Dan Carlin, definitely not a historian, just some guy who really fantasizes about how great ancient warfare is. And if you really want to hear some melodramatic stuff about the Mongols and their tactics, he's got a podcast with about two million hours on the Mongols. Some of it is really interesting, but it's really not what we're trying to get at here in AP World History. Our curriculum is going to focus on the cultural transfers, the tech transfers that happened because the Mongols really did connect all of Eurasia from east to west, and that's what we'll be focusing on today. First things first, who are the Mongols? They're a semi-nomadic people from the Asian steppe. Now, the Asian steppe can best be described as this vast ocean of grassland. It stretches all the way from the Pacific Ocean to Eastern Europe. It's a harsh life on the Asian steppe. It's not good farmland. There's also not very many trees at all, so there's not a lot of large animals. So finding food is going to be difficult for the Mongols. It's going to make them a very tough and fierce people. Um, they're going to raid when they need to to find food, and they're going to do just about whatever they have to do to survive. Now, one thing that the Mongols excel at is their horseback riding. This is going to make them very tough in battle. They're also going to use the horse for many things, sustenance for one. They're going to drink horse's milk. Sometimes the riders on their way to battle, they would slit the horse's neck just a little bit so they could drink the droplets of blood and keep going. So it gives you a little indication of who the Mongols were and what they're willing to do to achieve their goals. So... Politically, yeah, they do change a lot in Eurasia. Um, Mr. Gump's the earlier podcast where he is talking about some of the great states around the year 1200. By far, the most successful states would be found in China, the Song Dynasty, and then the Islamic world, the Abbasid Caliphate. The Caliphate was fracturing, but it's going to be the Mongols that provide the outside doom for these once great states. 
So yes, the Mongols do bring some political changes, but one of my favorite statements by a historian on this describes that in reality, you could argue that the great cultures of Dar al-Salam and the great culture of East Asia and China, they actually win out because when the Mongols conquer these places, instead of forcing their religion about the great blue sky, the Mongols are gonna be fascinated by the achievements of settled society. They're going to actually convert largely to Islam in the Middle East and in Central Asia. And Chinggis Khan's grandson, uh, Kublai, who takes over China, is actually going to try to institute some Confucian practices to show legitimacy. So even though the Mongols win the battles, it's the cultures of these other places that are going to win out in the end. So the Mongols are going to largely assimilate into the cultures of the people that they conquer. And politically, they're not going to make much more of a difference because the great Mongol Empire after the Khan dies is going to fragment into a series of Khanites. Some do last for quite a long time, but largely they're going to be new states to replace these Khanites pretty quickly. But what we're really interested in is the lasting effect of the Mongols, especially in the cultural transfers and the tech transfers. So the Silk Road trade routes have been around for over a thousand years already, but the Mongols are going to make travel along these roads safer than ever. And when travel is safer, trade is going to flourish. Essentially, the Mongols are going to create this enormous free trade zone. And when economics are more linked, we also are going to have more cultural and tech transfers. One great example is mathematics. We have Greek geometry, we have Islamic algebra, we have the Indian concept of zero. They're all coming together, and now future mathematical breakthroughs are going to be more possible. Um, some more concrete examples. Paper is going to be taken from East Asia to Europe. Uh, so is gunpowder. So is the idea for the printing press. The story of the life of Nasir al-Din al-Tusi, a Persian scientist, is going to be an excellent example of how the Mongols are going to help create the modern world. Nasir al-Din al-Tusi is one of the leading astronomers in the world, and when the Mongols take over the Islamic world, they make him their chief science advisor. They're also going to bring top astronomers from China, bring them together with Nasir al-Din al-Tusi to compare notes, to go over their models, and they're going to build Nasir al-Din al-Tusi the largest and the best observatory in the world. It's found in modern-day Azerbaijan. And there, Chinese, Arab, Persian, Greek scientists are going to work together to make the most detailed and most accurate models of the solar system that we have. In fact, later on, uh, the scientific revolution that's going to come from Europe is going to be using the research of this Mongol age science from Nasir al-Din al-Tusi. A super connected Eurasia is going to be great for economics, great for cultural transfer. It's also going to provide a excellent platform for disease to spread around the whole landmass. So the bubonic plague is going to be the worst global pandemic that humans had ever experienced. And it wouldn't have been possible without the Mongols. It's going to start in China, where it's going to kill millions and millions of people. It's going to make its way all the way to Europe. Some estimates are between 30 and 60% of Europe's population are going to die from this terrible disease. So whenever trade increases, so do the chances for global pandemics. I want to conclude with a note about the most powerful women in all of world history. Now, it's a sad fact that ever since the Neolithic Revolution, patriarchy has played a major role in human societies. However, 
in semi-nomadic societies like the Mongols, survival itself can be such a struggle that they don't really have the option of trying to uh, enforce these strict social hierarchies. It's really all hands on deck for survival. That's going to give women quite a bit of power within the society, especially when we compare that to the Islamic world or the Chinese world. So even though the Mongols are going to be considered barbarians by a lot of people, through our modern lens, their views on gender roles are actually quite progressive. Arguably, the most powerful woman who ever lived is a wife of one of the Khan's sons, Sorghantani Beki. When the Mongol men are literally in all corners of Eurasia waging battle, women are left in charge back in the capital. So at the time when the Mongols have the largest land empire in history, it's actually women who are controlling the day-to-day finances and making the day-to-day decisions to keep the empire afloat. So Mongol women, therefore, arguably, are the most powerful women in all of world history. That really wraps up the story of how the Mongols helped shape the modern world. If you have any questions, please reach out, email me, email Mr. Gums. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you guys are staying safe. We'll talk to you soon.